to come now to the scripture, let me ask you, please, uh, to pray with me. Father in heaven, and now as we come to this, which is uh, your word, I, I pray that you would open our eyes fully, bring light to us, that we may see this very light of the scripture your light upon it so we can see it, its light upon everything else so we can understand the lives in which we live. So Father, I pray you help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn please to First Thessalonians in chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, please. I want to read verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Hear the word of God. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers. For that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet... The hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. It seems that there has always been a fascination about the end of the world. Uh, it's, it's a biblical fascination. Um, even in the book of Daniel, the Daniel uh, the prophet asks, when will this all end? When will this come to be? Uh, we know it of Jesus' disciples. They say, Jesus, when, when will the end come? In fact, they even ask him that question after he rose from the dead. Uh, there he was with them prior to the ascension. They said, is now the time? Is now the time? Because you see, in their minds, and, and what they've been led, really, as they read through the scripture, to think, when Messiah comes, that's it. When Messiah comes, the kingdom of God comes in all of its, its fullness, really. And, and Jesus said, no, slow down a bit. Slow down a little bit. The kingdom is here. It's been inaugurated. It's first, it's, it's here among you, but, 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 but there'll be a delay. I'm going and coming. And so, so, so he said, uh, I'm not, now isn't the time. Now isn't the time. In fact, even scoffers in the first century would come to the apostles, as the apostle Peter says, and said, where is this coming you've been talking about? You've been talking about it now ever since this Jesus you claim rose from the dead. So, so when's he really going to return? Ah, the scoffers in the early church. So great fascination. The church in Thessalonica wanted to know when as well, it seems. And again, an honest kind of request. 
Paul had come to their city, this apostle had come to their city, and when he did, he, he, he announced to them about Jesus and, and laid all of this out for them. And in fact, the, the, the criticism that the opposition had, which caused them to rise up against the church and rise up against Paul at that point in time, was that Jesus, I mean, Paul had come and spoken of another king other than Caesar, this King Jesus. And so the question of the church in Thessalonica is, all right, when's this king going to come? We're still being oppressed. When is he going to actually come and put an end to this oppression? We want to know that. And, and Paul would tell them eventually, the first chapter of his second letter to the church in Thessalonica, what was going to happen to those oppressors. But right now, as he lays this out for them, he says, in a sense, I've already told you about this. Notice, he said, concerning the times and seasons, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware. In other words, we've already discussed this. Nobody knows the day or the hour of the coming of Jesus, of course. Jesus said he didn't even know that. That was simply the purview of the Father. He knew it. He knew when this time would be. No one knows the day uh, or the hour, of course. Paul continues, though. He didn't stop then. He just says, well, can't tell you when he's going to come back. He does tell them how they're to think about this coming of Jesus and how they're to live in light of it. Because that's really the question. How do we live on knowing that he's coming? It'd be great to know when. We think it'd be great to know when. I mean, that's always a student's question, right? When's the test going to be? You know they behave very differently when they know that the test isn't going to be for three weeks. Then if you say it's going to be tomorrow, most professors would like their students to live in light of the fact that they'll be tested tomorrow all the time. They're really up with things. We know what happens when, when we have some time. I suspect that if Jesus said, I'm not coming back until the you know, 2018, that's my, no. We'd kind of coast until 2018 and three quarters, right? And so, so he said, I'm not going to, no one knows the day or the hour. But I want you to live in light of the fact that, yes, he could come anytime. And he will definitely come. Now, the reason Paul is entertaining this subject for them isn't, as you can tell, isn't so that they can sit around and speculate when he's going to come back. That isn't a speculation that any of us should have. The Bible never speaks to the when of it. In fact, you can rest assured that on the day that Jesus comes back, there won't be anybody alive at that moment in time who'll say, I knew it was going to be today. It, maybe he's just waiting until we give up thinking about it, right? Often, and this is completely heretical, but I often think that, you know, somebody picks a date and says, that's when Jesus is going to return. And the Lord said, oh, I guess I'll have to change it. Uh, that's not true, of course. But, but you get the point. Nobody's going to know. Nobody, nobody is going to know. I've just saved you a lot of time and money. You don't have to buy all those books. You don't have to watch all those television shows. You know, you can watch the Middle East politically, but not for when Jesus is going to come back. Right? It, it, it just, he says, that's not why 
I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you about the return of Jesus. I'm telling you this, he puts it here in verse 11. I'm telling you this so that you can encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. He says, I want you to keep living essentially the way you're living, actually. And so I want you to take these words that I'm going to give you and I want you to to share them with each other so that you'll have courage to live. That's what it means to be encouraged. So that you'll have, share these words with each other. Know this, take them. And as a body, this is how the Lord works. How do we receive encouragement? Well, it's through one another. And we want to build each other up, which means strengthen each other. We want to strengthen one another with these words. Have these words on your lips. Know these things. Talk about these things with each other. That will give you courage and that will give you strength to live in light of his coming. Now notice, there's lots of ways we can encourage and build one another up. But this way of building one another up is really theologically. That is, he says there's truth you need to know. Smiles and hugs and and squeezes on the hand and kind words. All those things can help encourage us and, 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 and strengthen us in some regard. But hugs without truth do not strengthen They're just empty. You see. When we give hugs of reassurance to one another. In that hug says. I care for you. I love you. And we really know the truth. You see. That's the hug that really reassures. A hug that really reassures someone who is faint hearted. As these people were. It's a line that Paul uses about them. A hug that really hugs a faint-hearted one is a hug that says, I know you're faint-hearted, but there really is truth behind this hug, you see, that we really know. That's what strengthens. That's what really encourages. And so Paul says, you need to know this. You need to have this truth so that you can give one another courage as you talk, so that you can... Give one another strength as you share life really together. Because that's really, was was Paul's point, Jesus' point as well. Nobody really knows the day or the hour. Notice how Paul puts it's going to come, at least for some. He says, first of all, it's, it's, it's the day of the Lord. Now, when they would hear the day of the Lord, that should focus them. Because that was not a casual expression uh, in the scripture. In fact, the, the prophet Amos uh, puts it like this in Amos chapter 5 verse 18. He says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Uh, why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. If a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. You see, he's saying, you might think that you're running from the lion and you're safe. Not if you run into a bear. And you might think that as long as you got home, all would be well. Not if you put your hand on the wall and there was a serpent there that bit you. Uh, he says, that's what the day of the, there's no escaping this day of the Lord. It's not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it. Prophet Zephaniah, the great day of the Lord is near. 
near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities, against the lofty battlements. This day of the Lord. And so he says, all right, you want to know when? I know why you're asking, Paul might say, but you sound a bit casual. I just want to sober you up a minute. I just want you to suck air for a moment. It's the day of the Lord. That's what you're asking about. This coming. And he calls it a sudden destruction. And for some, at least, a day of wrath. And he says, it's going to come like a thief uh, in the night, you know. When you don't expect, no one's expecting the thief to come. If you expected the thief to come, you'd be prepared. But he says, a thief in the night. You're not prepared. The thief doesn't want you to be prepared. That's why he comes when it's dark. That's why he comes when you're asleep. Uh, so that you will know that he's coming. It's going to be, it's going to be like that. Because you see, you're, 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 you think there's peace and security. Remember how Jesus put it. He says, when he comes, it'll be like in the days of Noah. When people are just going through life. Eating and drinking and giving and marriage. Everything was fine. He says, there's a whole group of people in the day of the Lord who are going to be shocked when the day of the Lord happens because they will not be expecting it at all. Because they think everything is hunky-dory. Everything is great. And life is just simply going to go on and going to continue going on. And he said, no, 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 no. Really, uh, it isn't like that. In fact, Paul uses a number of images here. Uh, He uses the word darkness. He uses the word sleep. He uses the word drunk. Those are all terms to describe spiritual conditions. Darkness. Spiritually can't see. Spiritually unaware. Estranged from God. You're in darkness. You remember what Jesus said about that. He said, men love darkness rather than light. See, the whole message of the Messiah was that light would come. Isaiah chapter 9, a light would come to the Gentiles, to the world, to the nations. A light would come. And this sense of light, oh yes, now we can see. Now we can see clearly about life, about God, about us. We can see clearly about this, this notion of, of light that is coming. But he said, you live in darkness. In Jesus, life was the light of men, but the darkness didn't understand it, didn't comprehend it. In that sense, men loved their darkness rather than light, living in darkness miss it and so you see when this day of the Lord comes you're shocked never expected that I thought everything was really okay you're asleep you're drunk intoxicated your 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 faculties are impaired you're thinking wrongly about life. And it's so easy for us to become intoxicated with our own wisdom. 
We think our wisdom is real wisdom and, and we live in that wisdom. Intoxicated with our own power, we really can make this happen. We really can control our lives. If only we had more power, then, then everything would be really better. We're intoxicated our wisdom by our power, by our ability to have stuff, these material possessions that we have and we get locked into the, these material things and we think we have really all that we need. We're intoxicated by all the options and all the opportunities and all the things that we have and all the things that we can have and 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 we're not thinking rightly they deceive us we're locked into all of that this is for those who are in that kind of that kind of darkness you see you're going to be shocked there's a passage in the book of revelation chapter 18 that speaks to this shock it's this judgment on on Babylon, the world, the, the city in darkness, really. And, 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 and John sees the leaders of the city, the merchants, the kings, um, the shipmasters. And, and when the fall of Babylon comes, they're all shocked. Notice verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, that is, with the city. And, and this is a figurative language. So what Paul means, or what John means here, is that, that they've been unfaithful to God. They've, they've, they've entered into this intimacy with the, with the world, with Babylon. And, and so, and the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her. When they see the smoke of her burning, they'll stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And they're just shocked. They never expected that. All that they had built, all that they had hoped in God. The merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold and silver and jewels and pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, slaves, that is human souls, the fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you. All your delicacies, all your splendors are lost, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. You realize everything that we've sunk our whole lives into, it's gone. It's of no value. We thought that was life. And now we realize it isn't. So the day of the Lord comes like a thief. Wow. In the night, shocked. Like labor pains on a pregnant woman. It's a bit redundant, isn't it? Labor pains. Uh, because uh, it means it's inescapable. Once the labor pains start, you know, here we go. Uh, we're going to have this baby. No turning back now. And, and so... It's like that, you realize. But then Paul makes a contrast with a group of people he calls you and we, meaning believers. Now, when he does this, this isn't a 
value statement on people. Like we're better than they are. That's not his point at all. He's just simply saying there are believers and unbelievers. The unbelievers in darkness. The believers asleep. Unbelievers intoxicated with themselves. But he says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Oh, that doesn't mean we'll know the exact time. We'll be surprised in some sense. Oh, it's now. But not unprepared, you see. Unprepared. And if you expected a thief, if you live in a neighborhood, a place, or you're in a place that's where thieves are known, if you will, you make precautions. So when they come, you might go, oh, they're here. But, but you're prepared for them. You've got locks and safes and protection and all of that. He says, so, so it won't surprise you like that. Because you see, you're not in darkness. You are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep like others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But we belong to the day. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Paul's saying, listen, there's something true about us. The light has come. Again, this isn't a value statement. Oh, you're better because the light has come. No, 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 no. We know that this is a gift of God. And we sit in humility and awe, flabbergasted, that the light has come upon us. We're amazed by that. But nonetheless, it has come. And, and the, the light has come. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Don't walk in darkness. In fact, the passage I read, the reason I read that passage out of Ephesians chapter 5, early in our worship service, is to put this in your minds. Paul writes, At one time you were darkness. Think about that. The very fact that we were once darkness sobers me up to think. The only reason I'm not darkness is because of something God has done. And I'm amazed and humbled that focuses my mind. I'm sure you've never had this experience. But some people have. When you're driving down a major highway, let's say I-70, and, and you're going to pass someone, so you pull out, and as you pull out, everything's great. You pull out, and you realize by looking in your mirror that you just pulled out in front of an 18-wheeler. And you know that because he's signaling to you that you did that in various Ways, uh, and you're signaling back, I'm sorry, and I'm sure he's signaling back, you're forgiven. Uh, and but it sobers you up, doesn't it? At that moment, I mean, in your head all of a sudden you go, oh, I, I really wasn't paying attention. But for the rest of your trip, that and, and your wife, who noticed it too, uh, is reminding you, oh, yes. And this passage sobers us up. The day of the Lord. You were, you were once darkness. Don't forget that. 
You, you were once dark. You were once one who would have, when the day of the Lord came, lamented and been shocked. But because of the grace of God, you're not. But you were once darkness. So the apostle says, now the logical step from that, since you were once darkness but now aren't, you're now in the, in the light. At one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And that's Paul's point. How do we live in, 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 in the sense, uh, in recognition that Jesus is coming back? How do we live in light of this day of the Lord coming? The way that we live, being sobered up by the fact that it's coming, is to walk in the light that we've been given. Walk as believers in Jesus. Don't sit around wondering the day and the hour. Nobody can know that. Get on with life. Get on with living. Get on with living as someone who is a follower of Christ. And so he says, don't go back to the deeds of darkness, living like you're unaware of God, but now live as one who knows him because, you see, that's who you are. And another thing that sobers us up in this passage in in, in 1 Thessalonians, it's a bit subtle, but but it's really here. And once we see it, at least when I saw it, it was just helpful to me. Um, It was pointed out to me. He says, verse 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Could I just be really nitpicky here and, and show you what Paul isn't saying so we can see what he is? think this will help he says but he doesn't say but since we belong to the day let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation he doesn't say because of this then here's what i want you to do he says we're to be sober because that's already happened he says having put on the breastplate in other words that happened question is when did that happen When did I put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of hope for salvation? Or better, when was it put on me? When I was converted. And now he's saying, this is how you were dressed for life. Invitations come for various events. Sometimes in those invitations, there's a little note, sort of how you're to dress. Business casual, suit and tie, you know, bathing suits. Uh, And that tells you something about the event. You know, you read, you know, shorts and t-shirts, you go, oh, to be, or it says suits, you go, nah, a little stuffy. What Paul's saying is, when we were invited to this life to live, we were told what to wear. And what we're supposed to wear is armor. Now, if you get invited to a party and the little thing says dress, colon, armor, you go, whoa, I must be in for a fight. I need to be protected. Ah, don't know if I want to go to that party. Who else is coming? How big are they? What are they wearing? Uh, But here, 
the apostle says, you've been invited to a life. Now let me tell you what to wear. I'm thinking robes of righteousness. (laughs) That comes later. He says, no armor. And I go, that that really focuses my mind, doesn't it? I'm to wear armor. In fact, he says, I've already armored you. God says, I've already put this on you. And here's, here's the armor, you see. It's, it's faith. Don't believe what you once believed. Don't believe darkness. And when you entered, you came in faith in Jesus. What did that mean? It meant I'm abandoning all of this. I once thought that was life. I once thought that was right. I thought that would enable me to flourish. I realize now I was wrong. Sinfully wrong. And now I'm armed, protected by faith in Jesus. He's right. His wisdom. His power. His strength. I'm to obey Him. That's flourishing, right? So we leave this over here. Intoxicated with my own wisdom, with my own power, with my own thoughts, with the world's motivations and incentives and rewards. No. And now faith. So, so he says, listen, live a sober life. You're in, you're in the light now. And you should realize that because you believe now. And so now live by faith. And what that means is arrange your life, your actions, your thoughts, behaviors, all of that. It was around this fact of faith. You believe in Jesus. Now live consistent with that. Don't worry about the date when he's going to come back. Live by faith. And love, of course. You are armored with love. To be loved by God and by others and to love. So so get about that. Get about loving others, really. Focus off myself. Over here, the focus was on myself. Oh, I loved so that people would love me. I loved so that I get pats on the back. I loved because, well, that was expected and nice and everybody liked me more. Now really love. Put the interests of others ahead of your own. Think of their needs. Meet them. That will take sacrifice. Love. And live with this hope. This hope of your salvation. Over here you you might have had hope in darkness. You hoped in your own wisdom, your own power, the provision that could come. Uh, Who knows? All your hopes and your dreams here. So now leave those behind and place your hope for your salvation in Jesus. Notice how he puts it. For God has not destined us for wrath. Because if you struggle with predestination, you'll like that one. You have not been predestined for wrath. But to obtain salvation through through our Lord Jesus Christ... Who died for us. See that's it. All of our hope. All of this. Is based in the very core. Irreducible core. Of the gospel. 
that Jesus died for us. Okay. Now you unpack that. Well, why do you need to die for me? Well, because I was a sinner. Why does he need to die for sinners like me? Because you see, we're separated from God and the only way that we can be reconciled to him for justice to be done is for this sin to be dealt with so the mercy of God can come. Oh, oh, oh. that's my hope, you see. Without him, I'm in darkness. In him, I'm in light. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, that is, whether we're alive or dead, we might live with him. Therefore, he says, Encourage one another with these words. We think of the day of the Lord. And we think of his coming. Our conversations shouldn't move to when or did you read this latest? It should be to our faith. Who is this Jesus? We trust him. It should be to loving each other, getting on with it. It should be with persevering in hope because he died for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for me, for us, that uh, you would grant us grace to live. In some sense, to live this ordinary Christian life. Hmm. Believing, trusting in Jesus. With loving friends, family, neighbor. With doing our work well. That through it we may love our neighbors. By living in such a way that shows that we believe that Jesus is coming. And in his coming is salvation for all who believe. Whether this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. As you do, I remind you of our Sunday school classes uh, coming. So please um, find a class at 945 and go there. I'm going to have to wait for our singers because I'm done three minutes before I normally am. Actually, I'm done three minutes before I should be done, which means I'm done ten minutes before I normally am. Here they come. I just do this every once in a while for them to be on guard so they don't have too many donuts. Please receive this as God's benediction. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good for doing his will, working in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight, and this through Jesus Christ our Lord. And together let us sing.